0: I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the Beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the
1: Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you.
2: Hello, Waco, and welcome to Waco PD on the Beat. I'm Sierra Shipley, the public information officer for the Waco Police Department. And I'm Janae Draper with the Neighborhood Engagement Team. And we are starting a new series here on our podcast, which is Never Quit, Never Forget. With the and- Special Crimes Unit. Yeah, that is the special crimes motto, if you will. Uh, it's, it's what they go by and what they live by as they solve your cases. Uh, the one, of course, the one of our most high priority cases is our homicide cases. Uh, we have a lot of cold cases within our department that have gone unsolved. We want to highlight those. To start, actually, though, we are talking about our most recent homicide this year that hasn't that has gone unsolved um, and when I, I say most recent is just the one that's this year 2023 which is the murder of Jamerson Hawthorne that was back in April of this year it is the only homicide investigation that has gone unsolved uh, the longer that these cases go unsolved the harder it is so we want to highlight this one moving forward we're going to hear from Detective Thompson, who is working the case, and then also Jamerson's mother, who was there during the shooting. Exactly. She lived. And so we're going to hear from her later in this episode about what her life has been since that incident. And like I said, moving forward from here, we're going to hopefully be able to highlight our cold cases. And, you know, we hope you guys uh, I- enjoy this series and that it helps. Maybe jog someone's memory up. Jog some memories and hopefully get these cold cases solved. Yeah, of that information. And we also have a list of all of our cold cases in our department. They're on our website. And you can actually go in and send submit a tip uh, for those cold cases. You can read a little bit of a bio about them. And if you have any information, please, please send it to us because that's what we need is information to solve these cases. Because Detective Thompson is here to talk about the fact that we have not been able to identify any suspects in this case. Um, Detective Thompson, thanks for joining us.
0: Of course, I'm glad to be here.
2: Um, So let's first, to kind of get people to understand what you do, uh, talk a little bit about Special Crimes Unit and the investigations that you work with every day.
0: So I'm a member of the Special Crimes Unit here at the Waco Police Department, and my unit is responsible for investigating all major crimes against persons, uh, which includes homicides, suicides, questionable deaths, sexual, assault, sexual assaults, robberies, and uh, fatality wrecks coming in July. Um, so this is uh, uh, one of our premier um, types of cases that we handle. And of course, obviously one of our high priority, most high priority uh, cases that we work on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This particular case, is this the only murder case that you've been assigned this year?
0: So far this year, thankfully, yes. It's the only murder that I've been assigned. Um, there have been other murders, of course, in the city of Waco. Um, this is the only one that I am currently working uh, as of right now uh, that happened this year. I am still working on murders uh, that I uh, caught in 2022, um, but this is the only one right now that I've got from this year.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about the impact and and the the work it takes to investigate these murders, right? How hard is it, or how hard can it be, of course? And talk about as each day passes, the harder that solvability rate is.
0: Well, the amount of work is is really hard to quantify um, in terms that uh, uh, someone that's not in this line of work can understand, but uh, uh, it would not be unusual um, for me to uh, spend... 10 to 18 hours a day um, here at the police department working on a murder uh, the day it happens, the day after it happens, maybe even the third or fourth day, uh, depending on the type of murder and the circumstances, which, of course, no two are really alike exactly, but um, you're, everything else kind of goes out the window, um, and I have to set aside all of my you know family obligations and other things that I'd like to be doing uh, because there's somebody, hopefully just one somebody, but sometimes multiple People who can no longer speak for themselves, who are depending upon me to be their voice, because um, they're no, long, no longer with us, uh, and I have to do right by them. And and whatever it takes, right, is what we're going to do. Um, so I've worked uh, several hundred hours, I would estimate, uh, in the three months uh, since this murder has happened, um, And that's just uh, that's just on this murder. That's not including the other caseload that I have. uh, The other, like I said, sexual assaults, robberies, suicides, questionable deaths that uh, my unit handles. Because you know, even though I have this murder, those cases are still happening as well, and uh, uh, so I still get some of those cases um, in addition to this.
2: Right, right, and I want to talk about too because we're starting this episode, you know, due to the fact of of Jamerson's murder. And I think it's really important that we talk about these murders that haven't been solved within the police department, right? We have our, you know, we have a cold case detective in that unit that, you know, kind of handles a a majority of the cold cases that we get. And I feel like there's kind of a negative connotation to the word word cold case sometimes, but can you explain to the community, you know, what a cold case is to you guys and what, what it means to you guys?
0: So, um, of course, they have a very famous show, right? First forty-eight about uh, about this type of investigation, um, and that's because the first forty-eight hours of these types of of, of cases can be really crucial, um, more in an evidence collection and evidence preservation um, type of way than anything else. It's more so that I need to know what I need to save, what I need to make a what we call a preservation request on to various social media uh, companies or phone records or things of that nature so that I can then get that evidence at a later point and analyze it in the context of the overall investigation. So while it's not entirely accurate that, you know, oh, after the first 48 hours, a murder goes cold, that's not really true. But it is – time is of the essence. Um, And so for us, there's not really a time frame that uh, a case would go cold after, but it's more so – When the leads and investigative kind of channels and avenues run out and when we've kind of walked all the way down the path and hit a dead end, no matter if it's, you know, two months later, three months later, a year later, that's when we would kind of consider the case to be air quotes cold. But that's also, I think, um, a little bit of a negative term, like you said, because it it implies that uh, we've put the case in the freezer and just kind of locked it away. Um, And here at Waco Police Department, that's not accurate. We have a dedicated cold case uh, detective in my unit, and uh, he spends his entire workday going over these cases that are not being actively worked and double-checking to see, hey, was everything done correctly? Um, Is there anything else that can be done today using maybe new investigative methods, new forensic methods, something of that nature? Or most importantly... Has someone come forward with new information, Uh, another witness or another person who says, hey, you know what? I heard a guy talking about that maybe 10 years after the fact, you know, Um, all of these things are being checked on regularly throughout our entire suite of cold cases. Um, So it's not that they're stuffed in the freezer and, you know, left like a a, a freezer burned bag of potatoes from four years ago, but more so that they're being uh, checked on regularly and. Uh, he is really making sure that we have taken all available steps uh, to look at these cases.
2: Right. And I know Jamerson's murder, of course has not gone to, you know, can be considered a cold case yet, but we are going to be in the future touching on those cold cases, those murders that haven't been solved. Usually is what I like to say murders that haven't been solved yet. Um, and to, hopefully bring more light to them and maybe someone will come forward with information, which is hope, which is what we're hoping with this podcast here for Jamerson and and his family. So let's talk about, uh, Jamerson, the murder of Jamerson Hawthorne, detective Thompson. What, um, let's just start from the beginning. What kind of detail that, that day for me.
0: So, um, April 19th was a, a fairly typical day here in the city of Waco, especially for me. Um, I came to work. I was on call, so we take week shifts uh, Monday 8 a.m. to Monday 8 a.m. of being on call, and that means that whatever um, happens, a murder, a suicide, a questionable death, anything of that nature um, that requires a detective to come out on scene, well, that's your problem now, you know. Um, So I was just doing my normal work day, came home, and uh, went to bed and got woken up by a call from my sergeant saying, you know, unfortunately there's been a murder gave me the, the location and I, uh, went to South Waco to the, uh, Kate Ross housing project to start investigating on scene. Yeah.
2: And when you, when you get on an investigation, like you said, the first initial hours are the most crucial. So what was your, what did your job look like when you got on scene?
0: Uh, even before you get on scene, um, it's all about collecting information, um, to then, like I said, to be able to analyze later in in kind of the cold, hard light of day, you know. But while you're, while you're getting ready, while you're getting dressed, while you're, you know, uh, getting in your car and heading that direction, I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to the traffic that's going on between other officers, I'm in communication with uh, my sergeant and with the supervisor that's on scene, the patrol supervisor that's on scene, trying to gather as much information as I can because – it's usually very garbled when, when you're first getting these reports, when you're first kind of finding out what happened, it's, it can be very chaotic. It can be really hard to make sense of what's going on. Um, and so I'm just constantly gathering information and then trying to, trying to winnow that down and kind of get down to where I can tune out maybe things that are irrelevant or meaningless and get to the points of information that I need to focus on. So that's, even, that's just on the way in. And then once I arrive, uh, I am taking into account where we're at, what's the location, what kind of uh, avenues of ingress and egress, right, uh, avenues of approach are there, because that starts to take into account cameras, I you start looking at businesses and seeing if there's cameras on these businesses, cameras on these houses, writing that sort of information down, because maybe I need to go back and check, maybe they caught a car coming, or so on and so forth, right, and I'm approaching that's just as I'm pulling up and parking my car and then as soon as I get out of my car I'm surveying the environment around me seeing if there's a big crowd of people that need to be handled if there's nobody around anything of that nature I'm walking up to the scene I'm looking around seeing making sure that we have set our perimeter wide enough that we haven't missed valuable evidence or a blood trail or perhaps even another body or something of that nature right that's outside of our perimeter that nobody knew about. You know? So I'm walking into the scene and then I'm starting my initial investigation, talking to the officers on scene, finding out what they've got to say, finding out what they saw, who they've talked to, and then looking at the uh, physical location, the physical evidence that I can see. Um, and if there is a body present, then we're also gonna start uh, inspecting that body and seeing what sort of trauma is present, what sort of evidence may be available there, identifying them if they're not already identified, all of those are just probably within the first 15 or 30 minutes of getting on scene. That's the kind of uh, a benchmark that you need to be at. Yeah.
2: So let's talk about what you can tell the public regarding this murder. What, what do you know that maybe can help the public maybe jog their memory into, oh yeah, I did see something that night.
0: So this incident occurred um, around 11th in Cleveland, uh, right in that area, uh, at around 22:55 hours, around 10:55 p.m. on April 19th of this year. Um, and so, if you were out and about between 10:30 and 11:30 p.m. that night, and you live in that area, even all the way up to 13th in Clay, and maybe even you know more east and more north of that, you know, if you were in let's say five square blocks of 11th and Cleveland and you were taking your trash out, walking your dog, taking in the the night air, whatever it is. And you were outside. I want you to just kind of cast your mind back and think if you saw anything that stuck out to you, Hey, you know, Hey, that's weird. You know, why is that, why, why is that guy out here walking? Why is that car driving so fast? Whatever it is, if you saw something, if you can remember anything, please give us a call and please let us know, because it can be the tiniest little thing that's the straw that breaks the camel's back and then maybe cracks the whole case wide open. Uh, We never know until we get that piece of information what proves to be the key that unlocks the lock.
2: Do you know one suspect, two?
0: At this time, we believe that there were uh, two suspects involved in this particular murder.
2: And so far, the leads that you've garnered in this case they kind of just been a dead end at this point
0: well leads is a strong word um because unfortunately at this time we do not believe that um Elaine Hawthorne or Jamerson Hawthorne were the intended targets of this shooting um and without a motive right that that's kind of the number one way that we often know who to start looking at that's how we get leads you know because when, when someone is murdered, we generally start with a list of the kind of people that would want them dead right? and start kind of going down that list and knocking names off as we go. And without, uh, you know, with no personal connection that I've been able to find uh, between Elaine and any potential suspects or between Jamerson and any potential suspects, that leaves us, uh, it leaves me at a little bit of a loss as to where to point my attention. You know, so for the last three months, I've, I've really kind of been, Stumbling around in a dark room trying to find the light switch, you know, and if I could just find the light switch and turn the lights on, then maybe I can know which way I need to be headed.
2: And now when you say that you don't believe that they're the intended targets, but you also know that they're this wasn't a random shooting either. This wasn't... Something that people should be in fear of of just two people shooting random houses, right?
0: No, I don't. There's no evidence that suggests that this was a random shooting in any way. For one thing, um, the only uh, door that was struck was the address uh, in question, um, so this wasn't a, a spray and pray type situation. This wasn't a random drive-by shooting or anything of that nature. Everything that I have found in my investigation uh, indicates that this was a targeted shooting. Uh, just targeted at some other occupant of the apartment besides Elaine or Jamerson, in my opinion.
2: Right, right. And so what is something that you need from the public? I know we talk about information. Have they come forward, or, or is it hard when an investigation like this or any investigation for the community to come forward with information?
0: It, it can be very difficult to um, – get uh, full cooperation from members of the community for, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it's important for us to keep in mind that um, if you're going to come forward and talk about something like this that happened in your neighborhood, well, guess what? That's your neighborhood. That's where you live. And a lot of people are afraid of reprisal, right? They're afraid of retaliation uh, because it's all well and good to go talk to the police that night, but then everybody saw you talk to the police and you still have to live there. You still have to come and go and raise your children and go to work in that neighborhood. Um, That's not something that we take lightly. All right. Um, And that's something that we take a lot of steps to uh, mitigate and to avoid. Um, There are are a multitude of avenues to report anonymously. Um, Crime stoppers is one of them. Um, You can also, you know, call, directly to the detective in charge of that case. And, you know, we don't always uh, uh, have to put names out there or put people on blast for talking to us or anything of that nature. Um, We try to uh, always safeguard the citizens uh, and their security as much as we possibly can uh, while doing these investigations. And and really all we are looking to do is to get one step closer to justice uh, for Jamerson in this case or for any other Uh, victim of of gun violence or or gang violence, anything of that nature that we see here in the streets.
2: Yeah, absolutely. How hard is it, because I know we're going to hear from Elaine in in just a few minutes, but how hard is it for you, Detective Thompson, to have to go through these investigations and listen to these families and just not understand why, why them?
0: That's... um, that's a really good question. Uh, one of my job duties is to make death notifications, um, and not just for murders, but also suicides and, and really deaths of all, of all type that happen here in the city of Waco. Um, and so this is, this is a, a conversation that never gets easier. Um, it never becomes automatic. It's never uh, a simple thing, despite the fact that I've had that exact conversation um, with different contexts, you know, not always violent, not always, you know, suicide, but sometimes just medical or natural. But I've had that conversation of telling someone that their loved one is dead um, dozens of times. Uh, and it's, it's never easy. It's never um, a simple thing uh, to just kind of bring somebody crashing down to earth like that. Um, but our job, our responsibility is to be the rock, kind of in that moment, right, Um, because they're, the family members, when you, when you deliver that hammer blow of, of, you know, your loved one has died, is dead, no euphemisms, no beating around the bush, this is the reality, right, when you wound somebody like that, right, they're just adrift, and just in a sea of emotion, right, they're on the waves, and you kind of have to be the rock, you kind of have to be the sponge and soak up all of that raw trauma and emotion and stress that they're, that they're giving off. You, you have to sit in there with them in that room and just be there for them. Um, and it's really difficult, uh, and it requires a lot of skill and a lot of experience to navigate that. Um, but that's what we, that's what we're called to do. Uh, and that's what we, uh, in the Special Crimes Unit, and at the Waco Police Department. uh, That's what we will do for every victim, um, regardless of the circumstances. That's what we're here to do. Um,
2: And and explain why that, because you have to be that person, you have to be that rock, that why it's so important to do the one thing we can, which is provide some sort of justice and closure.
0: When you, when you tell someone, especially in a murder, right, when you tell someone your loved one has been shot and killed, right, um, I remember vividly telling Jamerson's family um, that night that he, that he was gone, that he was dead. Um, and I remember the reactions uh, of his family members, of his sisters, you know, and being in that hospital room with them, as one of them, you know, collapsed onto the ground and, and started screaming, my brother, my brother, I want my brother back. I want my brother back. Um, you know, they're asking you for questions. They're asking you for answers. They're asking you for closure. They want to know why this happened. They want to know who did it. They want to know all of these things. And I have to tell them, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I cannot promise you that I will find out. I can promise you that I will do the best investigation that I can possibly do. You know, our, our motto in my special crimes unit is, you know, uh, never quit, never forget. You know, so that that's the promise that we make to these victims is that we won't quit and we won't forget about them. I can't promise you that, you know, everything's going to turn out the way that I would like for it to turn out. But I can promise you that we're going to do the best job that we can for you because that's what we owe them. Right. That's kind of the the. Uh, Promise that we make to them in that moment is that we're not going to to let this just drift off into obscurity, because um, they need those answers. They need that closure, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to sit down and talk about this today. Because if there's someone out there who has even a tiny piece of the answer to that question, please come forward and please tell us about it, so that I can give that sense of peace to Jamerson's family, uh, because I feel that they deserve that.
2: Right, And I think that it's important to say too, just like the family, the community is asking all those questions as well, right? And we try and give as much information as we can to the community without hindering the investigation, but that's why it's so important to, I think, continue to talk about this, right? To let the community know that, hey. We haven't forgotten about it, and we don't want you to forget about it either.
0: Yes, um, uh, that's very true. Uh, I understand that it can be um, troubling for the community to kind of hear long periods of radio silence about these types of investigations. Um, You know, I wish it was like CSI or NCIS where, you know, three commercial breaks and an hour later we've got the guy, you know, that's not really how it works in real life. Um, some of, sometimes these investigations can stretch out over many months, years. Um, but that's the kind of long haul that this department is in for. Um, that's the kind of commitment that we are going to have to every single one of these types of cases. Um, this one in particular, uh, has been going on for three months roughly by the time that at the time of this recording. Um, and there's not really an end in sight. Um, But that's still the journey that we're going to undertake with Jamerson's family and with the community hand in hand, asking for cooperation, asking for um, us to work together to achieve the final end of uh, getting justice for Jamerson and for Elaine.
2: Well, before we bring Elaine in to talk, I just want to give a few things. So please call our department. That number is 254-750-7500 for anyone that has information uh, another phone number if you want to give an anonymous tip which is to crime stoppers that's two five four seven five three help four three five seven you can say anonymous when you send in that tip it can also be done online and if that tip leads to an arrest you get an award up to two thousand dollars but detective thompson you know is there anything else that you want to say or talk about before we bring elaine in
0: I would just like to uh, thank the community for the trust that they put in our hands every day. Um, and I, I, ho- I hope that they uh, believe that we have their best interests at heart um, because I, I really do feel that we as a department and the special crimes unit in particular are going to do everything that we can to keep the citizens of Waco safe and to, um, find justice for the people that are affected by this type of crime.
2: All right. And we are sitting here with Elaine Hawthorne, one of the victims in this shooting, and her friend, Linda Chambers. And uh, we just wanted to provide the community some uh, information from Elaine's point of view. Uh, I'm sure that was a pretty scary night for... For for everyone involved. And Linda, I know you were there. Yes. But you had just left, right? Yes. So talk a little bit about that before you had left. What what was the night like?
1: We were just having a night good night. We was upstairs watching T V and then we came downstairs. We was just laughing and joking. So about ten o'clock I said, Well, I need to go home and take a shower so I can get ready for work in the morning. As soon as I walked in the house, that's when I heard out the shooting.
3: And you live right next door, correct, or a neighbor, right, the right around the corner.
2: Okay, okay. And Elaine, talk to me about what that night before the shooting. What what were the what was the what what were you feeling beforehand?
1: We was happy. We had held a conversation. We had a family conversation. I was in my room. My son came in my room. My daughter. We was out talking. He was saying. Mama got plans. My friend coming to see me. He was his friend. One of his friends was supposed to come that night and visit him. He didn't show up. He said but he cause his car stalled on him. And I was like, you know what? I said, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna go, to, I'm gonna come downstairs. And I'm gonna let you do my hair. You hadn't did my hair in like 30 years.
2: So he does hair?
1: Yes. Oh. Yeah, he was a stylist. <laughs> oh, okay. And he you didn't get out of his chair unless you were polished. And what I mean by polished is if it didn't look good to him, you was not getting out of his chair. <laughs> so he gonna try and try and try till he get it right. So he was. He, I said, "Well, I'm gonna go downstairs." I, I I went downstairs, and I attempted. I said, "I have to do my hair myself." I was doing it myself. He said, "Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh, I'm i to do it." So he started doing my hair. In the midst of that, he he went up the stairs, came back down. Linda, like I said, by ten forty five, she had just went out the door. But prior to that, we was just having. A good night, I, cracking jokes and everything, because he started sewing stuff to my head. I said, you trying to tell me you done cut me or something? We were just, you know, just having fun. Mm, yeah. He said, Mom, I should have recorded you. I should have <laughs> recorded you. We were just having a good night. And he was on the phone talking to one of his friends in Dallas. And uh, the person on the phone, he, he like, he, you know, just heard all of it, you know, because he, ne- he said, like, I never hung up. He called our family members in Dallas to let them know what was going on but before all of that it, it we was having a good family time. Yeah. yeah. It was it was just laughter and love and everything in in the house. Yeah. I mean it and we hadn't laughed like that in a long time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so you guys were downstairs and it was just you and Jamerson Correct. there at the time. And so
1: Downstairs. And
2: downstairs, yeah. And so when when you guys started hearing the the bullets coming through the the apartment what was going through your head? Did you even register what was happening?
1: No, actually, I heard up. We heard of. It was just like a pat-pat. See, the, the baby was downstairs. We thought he was just throwing his cup downstairs. So I looked. Me and we both looked toward the stairs, finna to get ready to tell the baby, boy, go back upstairs. Before we could do that, I looked in there, because I have a fish tank. It has a mirror in it. Mm-hmm. And I seen some glass breaking. I was like, what it was, what it was showing me was a reflection from the picture that was hung up by the stove, where the mm-hmm. bullet first hit. Mm-hmm. That's what was breaking. Wow. And then about that time, I pat pat. I felt my side. I said, "Wait a minute," and I looked at my front door. I said, "Somebody shooting." And my son said, "I said I'm shot." He said, "What?" So I grabbed him by the arm, mm-hmm. and he was trying to run out the back door to go get our next door neighbor and all this time so by that time I reach up I grabbed my phone and and when I reach up to grab my phone that's when I looked over and that's when I seen him just spewing up blood mm-hmm. and it it's it, it just it, he got hit he started spewing up blood when he turned he got hit again and he just fell over. He fell over. It was a chair right there. He fell over. That chair broke in two and spent him around back toward me. And he just fell down to my side, and I immediately just started trying to administer CPR, but I couldn't flip him over, so I started calling for my daughter to come and and help me because I knew that because I'm disabled myself that I couldn't lift him up or flip him over. And she... She said, "Mom, I can't, I can't, I can't do it." I said, "Well, go get the neighbor, go get the neighbor," and that's when the neighbor came. And by by then, that's when everybody started coming outside once they heard the ambulance and all of that. And my then that's when I, I really didn't pay attention to how many people came or or how many people pulled up. But all I know is when they took me outside, that's when I seen everybody. It it was it was it 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 was horrible. It it was was a mother's worst nightmare. I am so sorry. You can't imagine having to do CPR on your child, and I didn't even know how bad my injury was. Mm
3: -hmm. Oh,
2: that just—I mean—that just breaks my heart for you. I am so sorry that you have to
3: go through through that that every
1: day. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in my mind. In my sleep, I just wanted to see my baby just come around the corner, smiling and happy as he was. He, he was always smiling. He We were not the people that bothered nobody. Only way we met you is you had to walk by my house. Mm-hmm. You had to walk by my house. The only way to meet us, that's the only way you go, because we didn't go to nobody's house. We didn't bother nobody. We was always at home. If you've seen us at the grocery store, you've seen us at the grocery store. But other than, I know when you stay. I there you probably do. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. But mm-hmm, just yeah. to relive that tragedy over and over again, hmm. and we, we didn't bother nobody. My baby did this. He was, a, he was a very talented person. He had bachelor's, master's degree, and. Styling, he made clothes, he did her. He, he was a stylist, that's why yeah. I said stylist. Very, very friendly person. If he seen somebody walking down the street, if he felt like you need a haircut, he'll say, come here. Let me cut your hair for you. That's, that's that's just the type of person, if he seen a kid who hair was too nappy, too long, he said, come here. Who is your mama? I, I'll tell your mama I'm going to do your hair. That's just the type of person he was.
2: Yeah, he's yeah. a giver. Yes. Oh, my, he goodness. Was. my goodness.
1: That he was. And he was just dreaming. And I was sitting in the chair, and he pulled me out that chair. So I, that was my know because he saved me. It could have been me and him. Yes. I said, how did I get on the floor? I don't even know how I got on the floor. He pulled me out the chair.
2: Goodness, No, he he died a hero, didn't he? Yes. Yes. Oh, my
1: goodness. (laughs) You know, the last song I sung to you, did you ever know that you was my hero?
2: Well, you were with him, and I'm sure that he's forever grateful for that. How has it... Well, before before I talk about, you know what what you hope for, can we talk about Jamerson for a little bit? Give us—you've already given us some insight into what his character was like. So, uh, and he was forty years old. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was still young, right? Yes. Uh, what, what was he like as a person?
1: Dan was happy. Like I said, he was the, he was a giver. He 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 loved cooking. Yes. Making clothes, changing—he just was he if you m- met him, it's something. He either uh uh-uh, uh, he he he's very peeney. that don't look right on you. Don't do that. <laughs> I ain't gonna let you do that. I'm not gonna let you go out the door like that. You uh-uh, know, uh-uh, uh-uh. Somebody should have told you. Yeah, <laughs> uh-uh, that ain't it. That was the kind of person that he was. Yeah, and he 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 was he was very loving and very giving.
2: And how long was he doing hair and cosmetology?
1: All his life, cause he watched me.
2: So we got it from you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he picked it up for me.
2: Yeah, and then you let him do your hair, so it sounds like he did a good job. Yeah, cause I don't.
1: <laughs> I ain't let nobody do my hair. I don't, I'm the only person done my hair, yeah. and he was the only person I let do my hair.
3: Right, right. I don't know we've talked about his character, but just to say it again, like it speaks so much of like how much he valued, like you know, just people in his community or surrounding, because you said, like, many times that he might see kids, um, and he would be like, no, I'm, I'm doing your hair, or wouldn't let you go out like that. Like, he valued, you know, people enough to yeah. be like, hey, let me take care of you. Let me let me yeah. help you out with that. So that speaks, I mean, I know, you know we talked about his character, but that speaks yeah. huge absolutely, someone, too. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And he was trying to teach his his sister how to do her as well. He was like, okay, y'all, you're you, you playing around. I ain't going to be here. I, one time you're going you gonna to need to know this, which we always say that because I've always told him that hey, you better get in here and learn how to do this, especially cooking holidays stuff like that. I used to be the cook, and I I haven't had to cook since because I was I was in a bad car wreck myself, and I hadn't had to cook because he got in the kitchen and he learned. Wow, what
2: was his best thing that he's ever made, or was this, what was your favorite dish that he made?
1: Shepherd's pie.
3: Ooh. Oh,
1: that sounds so good. And I'm gonna cook that this week too. I
3: like
1: yeah. that. <laughs> my son-in-law asked me yesterday, my what's that thing with the ground meat at the bottom?" And and, 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 and I said shepherd's pie. Mm-hmm. He said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "Okay, I cook one this week because he he knew that that's what my son cooked. You know, that was yeah. his favorite." Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness! And did does he did he live with you or was he just visiting? He was
1: actually visiting, going back and forth to Dallas. But when uh, I got uh, sick, real real sick last year, he just finally moved in because I needed uh, because I had to have I need surgery on my knees, Mm -hmm. and I needed I wasn't able to be mobile. Yeah. So I would say he was my legs. That was my legs. Mm -hmm. Since my legs been gone, all I've been doing is just I can't do nothing but sit there. I can't stand long. And my daughter can only do so much because if she break a fingernail, it's over with. She ain't doing nothing else. <laughs> well, and, and he also did nails, too. He did nails oh her goodness, and he wow. did everything.
2: Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Well, and I'm sure, too, that he has been gone. People like Miss Chambers, they've helped you along. How grateful oh, are yeah, you? Oh, yeah, this
1: my, is my A1. <laughs> this is my one, day one since the day I met her. Me and her have been close friends since I've been severely ill. She has been by my side, mm-hmm. and I love her for it. Mm-hmm. That's my best friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Miss Chambers, how hard has it been to watch your friend have to go through this?
1: Very hard. Very, very hard. I got to pass her door every morning to catch the bus to go to work. It's very hard to pass her door. Yeah. I haven't only been there once and I couldn't I haven't even went in. I just that chair y'all talked about is still there on my porch. I just sat there and I I haven't been in the door at all. No,
2: no. It's hard. It would be hard to go back.
1: It is. It is hard for me to go back. I I w want to go back, but I can't, cause I be done stressing myself. I didn't panic. I didn't be done. Had a stroke. Hmm.
2: Hmm. How you know? There's been so many moms that have lost their their children, and it's a it's a pain that can't be. It just you—you you can't imagine it until it happens to you. And so, what's something? Is there anything you'd like to say to those moms that you know are, are hurting like like you are?
1: It's a lot you can't say, and it's some things that no word, no words can help heal that that that, that empty void, because. You, you look and you say something and you want to say something to the, 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 your child that you know they usually be there or, or you find yourself doing something that your child did and you say, didn't I tell you? And you have to realize they're not there. Mm-hmm. It's 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 just like an empty, it's, it's, a, it's a, a room. You can put furniture in it and then you can take the furniture out. It's still a room. Right. It's just an emptiness that you you, you can't feel. But if you, this is one thing that a parent does not want to go through. I mean, we we have children who are, you know, t- t- born that way or ill or something, and they pass away like that. That you got time to prepare yourself, but for when someone is just take taken. For just no reason at all to a s- senseless crime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a hard thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to take a long time in processing healing. So don't everybody, people say it's going to get better. I wish oh. people not say that. Yeah. Because no. it, do, it doesn't get better. You can't, I used to joke about it and tell my son, hey boy. I have another one just like you, and I give it your name. <sighs> Dad, I'm going to fix it. But that's just what I just used mm-hmm. to tell my son to keep yeah. them out of trouble.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You ain't going to have no other me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You right, because no. I'm not. That's, that's right, yeah. That's the bottom line right there. Can't yeah. have another you. Mm-hmm. I can't have... Jamie was who Jamie is. And I love Jamie for being who Jamie yes. is. Jamie was... Two years old, wouldn't, didn't want a speck of dirt on him. Five years old, <laughs> I gave him a barber door to play with. Why well, he let your son play with doors? I said, because he he, one day he going to have sisters, and he going to have to do their hair.' There you go. And that is exactly what happened. And that is exactly what happened. He he, he lived his life. He was, just, he was just like, Mama, I'm so happy now. He was like, Mama, I'm just so happy. He was like, everything is falling into place. And I'm just so happy. He said, Mom, you know, thank thank you for for you moving down here and and and, and getting me down here. He said, I, I just feel better now. He said, because he had he already had anxiety because so much in this world, so so many people, some evil people, something wrong. What why why do you feel like that you could take a life and it's okay and it's not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not okay. You don't not only person whose life you've taken it also in they don't know it affects their family as well because if you get locked up who got to put money on your books yeah, yeah. you now you're going to take from your family from something that you did to somebody else's family people, people i wish people would stop and think like that like hey before I go do this but they don't mm-hmm. but yeah. they don't
2: Yeah, we know that Chief Victorian, she's talked many times about how taking a life is not worth any type. It's it's just not worth it.
1: It's not.
2: And this is, you know, you sitting here and talking to us is one reason why it's not worth it. Because it's so hard to hear your story and know that the pain that you and your family has gone through.
1: Was there any going through the whole you, neighborhood, the whole community, exactly? Yeah. Everybody's impacted by it. If you come through our neighborhood right now, the kids are no longer on the playground. Mm. Them kids, you know, when them kids come outside when they see me sitting outside because they knew Miss Hawthorne is outside on the porch, they call me Mama Red. Mama Red on the porch, we're gonna go outside because. They know I'ma watch them kids with my switch, but I'ma watch them kids. <laughs> Make sure ain't nobody fighting nothing. Just enjoy yourself, enjoy life as a kid. Cause I wish I was a kid again. Mm-hmm. Right, goes by fast. <laughs> got to pay no bills. I ain't got to... wait no mama to call me say come eat. That's it. Mm-hmm. They, they and that's they, and the, the people you don't. That's that's preciousness. To watch kids enjoy themselves and laugh, yeah. the children in our neighborhood nobody, them kids do not come outside unless they see me sitting outside on the porch. Then they come outside, and then when I go in, them kids go in. They do not. They know the, the neighborhood does not stay outside long. You can right now. You can hear you come through. You can hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 whole neighborhood is is upset because they was like. Who did this? Nobody seen nothing. And
2: and that's one thing that we're talking about here is the fact that Jamerson's case hasn't been solved. And I know our detectives are working tirelessly and going down every avenue they can to find the suspect or suspects involved. I mean, how does that play into your emotions in your life knowing that each day is one more day?
1: I'm scared. Where the furries I go is to my porch and mainly because the the police substation is right there and I go I come out the house I go to the grocery store once a month I, I that's it and it, it terrifies me to not know to like they may know who what I look like but I don't know what they look like I don't know if if, if whom the person or persons are, decide, way. hey, maybe we didn't finish the job. I don't know if I was a target. I don't know if my son was a target. I, I We don't know. And it's very, very scary. That's why the, the whole neighborhood, the whole community is like, in everybody sleep every night, and for half of us don't even sleep because I don't sleep at night. I sleep when I go to sleep when the sun come up. And that's a terrible thing for somebody my age not to sleep at night, but I don't. Because yeah. I guess with, in my mind I'm thinking I don't want to relive, to keep reliving at night, but I just, it's something I'll never, ever, 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 ever forget.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, this these are some of the worst crimes that our department and our community has to deal with, right? And so what's something that, as a mom... As a community member, what's something you want to say to the community or, you know, people out here who might be choosing a life of crime or thinking about, well, maybe it's just better if we use a gun. But it's not, right? What's something you'd want to say to them?
1: Don't do it. It's not worth it. You, I put it like this. If you wouldn't want your parents or one of your loved ones to go through Something like that. Stop, think. Don't even do it. I, because I, I got a problem. Once they said twenty-one, you can carry a gun. I was done. I was done with the streets. I said no. I said Mm-mm. I, I, I ain't going nowhere. I don't even like when my daughters leave and say, "Mom, we going." I said. I, I mean, I, I pray the whole time they gone and pray till they get back because it, it's just don't do it. Don't 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 go and affect someone's else life, because it's like it's like playing a game of Lego. Once you build them Lego blocks up one blow, all the bricks start falling down. And you said it. You
3: said it earlier because it's not just the victim and the victim's families they're affecting. It's also it's, their family as well exactly. that's going to have to pay the price. And some people don't stop and think about that. That's your own
1: family um,
3: that's going to also have to suffer as well.
1: Exactly. Because not not only is the victim gonna be missing their loved one. Mm-hmm. Your family also gonna be missing you.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You you're being taken away. Yeah. And I don't know what's wrong with this with the with with the world today to feel like, oh, free him, free him, free him. Why 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 all the time is free him? Why not? hey, don't you do that?
3: Yeah.
1: Then you don't have to scream free you. Everybody don't want to put their... Little one's face on the T-shirt, cause that's all I got is a T-shirt, and I keep it hung up in the bathroom so I can see my son's face. Cause normally, that's how I would meet him every morning and every night. He be like, "Mama, <laughs> mama, we we meet at the bathroom like clockwork." That's how he knew to check on me. Wait, anyway, my mama, I ain't seen my mama. Mama, you okay? Mama, you okay? I'd, yeah, I'm fine. Cause that's where we would meet every morning and every night. We meet at the bathroom. He said hey, he he calls it ablutions. Mama, you supposed to do your ablutions <laughs> st- way before me. You supposed to <laughs> did that last night. <laughs> That's what we called. it. Oh, and uh, and I'm 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 gonna miss him. I'm I'm miss him wholeheartedly. I ain't got nobody to cook for me on Mother's Day. No.
2: I am so sorry, Mrs. Hawthorne. I'm so so sorry.
1: Thank you. I got my good friend. Yeah. She makes sure I eat. She come check on me every day. She she sits with me while I sleep because she knows that's the only time I go to sleep. When she there, I go to sleep. And she'll let me sleep. Did she sit there when I wake up, she there.
3: And and Linda, this has also affected you as well. You know, how was how was after this I mean this was
2: in your neighborhood as well? Yeah.
1: It's a well. Yeah, he did that too. <laughs> was he a good singer? Yeah.
2: So it sounds like he was good at everything. I know. He's cooking,
1: yeah. nails, hair, singing. Teaching. We <laughs> got it for me. He, 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 that he was me. He's the male virgin of me. <laughs> That's amazing. That he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that was, that was I mean, he. he if he seen that he determined he's gonna do it, He it, that was just him coming up with ideas. I ain't never seen nobody make underwear till I seen him do it.
2: Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> he made some underwear on the sewing machine. I said, What? I said, That's so talent. That's talent. it. but he just did it out the top of his head. Oh my yeah. goodness. Uh-huh.
2: Wow. Wow, wow. Well, is there anything you. You know, of course, we hope that we bring justice to your family and Jamerson. What is something that you hope for?
1: Justice. And and I said I wouldn't even want nothing bad to the person who ever did do committed the crime. I want them to do the time because mm-hmm. to me. The, the person that I am, I'm a heavy, heavy thinker. And I figure if you, the best prison for you is your own mind. Mm. So if you are behind bars, it means you got to think. Mm-hmm. You got to think. You can open a bunch of doors on the inside of your mind, but when you open your eyes and realize reality, this is where I am, and I put myself here. So I would rather for them to, i we seek, seeking for justice and for them to go to jail and do the time for their crime because they they took a big piece from our entire family. Jamie was the entire family's stylist. A lot of people wanted him to come work with them, and he was like, no, nah, my mom I don't want to work for nobody. I, I can understand that because I ain't never want to work for nobody because I, I, I also did her as well. That's Like I said, that's where he got it from. And I like... I'd rather make my own money mm-hmm. and not nobody tell me how to spend my money. But that's just that's how he was. But didn't did, didn't mind working because he he I like I said he followed in his mama's footsteps. He was restaurant manager. He was he worked at Hudak. He was, uh, pr- pretty much saved like the, he was running running Hudak, which was a Dak place. He was they pu- quickly promoted him there, and. I'm just gonna miss him, with every fiber of my being.
2: Well, it sounds like you're you were proud of him, and you're still proud I of am. him.
1: I yes, I was, and I am very, very proud of him. I just wish his siblings, the girls, would have paid more attention. They was too busy. My brother gonna do it. My brother gonna do it instead of them getting in there and learning how to do it theyself. Mm-hmm. And because he he would get he would bless them with some beautiful gifts. If they to sat down but no they said, oh, we just buy it. let our brother do it we just buy it from a five brother and he gonna do it because he because he was at the before all this happened he was trying to teach everybody something he was trying to teach them how to cut her how to do her how to how to set her he was just trying to prepare them you know because he was 40 y'all, y'all young y'all y'all 20s y'all need to learn this because he learned at a like I said at an early age very, very. Yeah. To to know him is to love him. To know him is to love him. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. My goodness. Well, I am sorry that we, you know, I had to sit here and talk about this. I'm. Mean, it's so so unfortunate and sad that your family in this community is has to be impacted in this way. And hopefully, we can bring justice to this family and. That's why we need the community's help, right? Right. We need those people to come forward, and if they have information to to give it, because there's someone out there that it's, knows what's happening.
1: Seen something? Yeah. Anybody seen anything? Seen a seen a car, a tail light, a, a a headlight? Seen the, the height? A, a glimpse of skin color? Somebody? Anybody seen anything? if They know anything? Please come forth. So. The community can have some peace and clarity so the community can thrive again. Like I said, nope the kids, the kids, we we got kids who are living in fear, small children, children that should be living a life. I got a seven year old granddaughter, she was there and she keeps saying, Uh, when is Uncle Jamie coming back? And I, baby, Uncle Jamie is not coming back. And she be like, But I loved him though. And, and she did he she, he called her his noodle and and she was there and she was like she didn't she sti- doesn't understand but yeah. the, but the, the kids know what happened it they they go by the door and they look at the door and they they like wow and everybody that cuts the corner says we miss seeing him sitting on the porch smiling that's all we can say his smile we remember his smile. Cause they like we have never seen him have a bad day, we have never seen him upset. Cause you only seen him on the porch. That's as far as we went. The porch. Yeah,
3: and just like you said, I mean, like any information, whether you you know someone might think it, well, it might not be pertinent or it might you know just anything that someone might thought they saw maybe saw that could possibly help. They never know like what. You know, what piece of information might be the puzzle piece to help move this forward? Because like you said, I mean, you know, we want justice for Jamie and the family, but the whole community, because the whole community is, you know, like you said, living in fear till this is solved. They're living in fear. You know, your one piece of information could be the one that kind of helps these kids and the family get what they need to kind of take, you know, take back their family. Because nothing, you know, nothing will ever bring Jamie back. And that's, you know, nothing we can say or anybody can say can fix that or fill that void. You know, but the next best thing that we can do is at least bring justice.
1: That's it. Bring bring justice. Like I say, if anybody saying anything, please come forward and and say something. If if it was you, would you not be asking for the same thing? If it was your family? If anybody seen something? Don't just sit there and say, Oh, I don't want to get involved. I don't wanna get involved because one of the neighbors came up, and said, Well, I seen, I seen them by my trash can, but I don't wanna get involved. And I looked at her. Yeah. You seen? She said, and then that's when I called the police. Okay. Thank you. But I was already on the phone with them, but thank you. Mm-hmm. But if you seen something more than that. If you don't want to get your name involved, that's fine. Just, just, just call, tell, say, say whatever. If you seen a car, call. Yeah. They're not gonna know who's calling. They not gonna, they ain't gonna know nothing. Cause they, if they seen you and you didn't, if you seen them and they didn't see you, then they should let you know you're fine.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and we at the police department take anonymous tips all the time.
3: We also have Crime Stoppers as well. If they're scared, you know, that you remain anonymous Mm -hmm. um, through that if you report it through Crime Stoppers as well. So anything that you feel might be pertinent.
2: Right. And if you do it through Crime Stoppers, if that tip leads to an arrest in the case, you get rewarded. Correct. Yeah, yeah, up to $2,000. So, I mean, that's just one more thing to think about if you guys haven't, if anyone has any information out there. Well... Elaine and Linda, thank you both very much for sitting here. And I'm sorry again that we had to have this conversation. No one ever wants to have these conversations. Is there anything, Ever. Is there anything else that you guys would like to say? No.
1: no. Just if, please help. Yeah. The yeah. community is grieving. The community has had a, a, a great loss. Please
3: help because yeah. so This was his community, community, you know. This is his community, your community. Like, we're asking, you know, help from our community to help with this.
1: Absolutely. Because I don't want to keep living in fear. And I've never been scared of nothing in my life. But I'm scared for the children. And I'm scared for myself. I shouldn't have. And they said, don't fear no man, but God, but God, you got some idiots down here, it don't make no sense, since this killings in the community, please help, please help, so we can get justice. Waco PD on the beat, the heartbeat serving you.